Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and it's uh, just me this week, and we have a win. We um, NCLA put in an amicus brief for our friends over at um, the Pacific Legal Foundation in Ohio State Court, and uh, we got a Chevron win. The Supreme Court of Ohio, uh, uh, Judge DeWine, who's um, I think the son of the governor, um, came out with an opinion that says that Ohio courts do not have to defer to an agency interpretation of a law. And um, this is this is uh, good because one of the things we talk about all the time that supports the administrative state and makes the administrative state more powerful than um, it should be under our triparate system of government the executive, the Congress, and the ju- judges, particularly the judges, is that this Chevron doctrine, which is the federal doctrine whereby the courts, unless it is an unreasonable interpretation, uh, will defer to the agency's interpretation. Now, this was an interesting case because it also had, uh, it also had impacts on business. And I'm going to actually... Uh, Judge DeWine did a nice little summary like he was um, was thinking, boy, um, I'll just summarize this so uh, Vecchioni can easily tell his uh, listeners about it. But um, what he says is, is that this, this was about Ohio licensing and how they license engineering firms. And the uh, statute sets forth the requirements a firm must meet to provide engineering services in Ohio. Specifically, the firm must, quote, designate one or more full-time partners, managers, members, officers, directors as responsible in, in responsible charge of its engineering activities. The state agency in charge of administering the statute contends that to be a full-time manager, one must be an employee and cannot be an independent contractor. The Court of Appeals determined that it was required to defer to the agency's reasonable interpretation of an ambiguous statute. On this basis held that the statute precluded an independent contractor from filling the role of a full-time manager. And this is important. So under Chevron, if the statute's clear, the agency doesn't get to make stuff up. But as we've discussed on this program many times, uh, if a court wants to go in a certain direction, they can find the statute's clear as mud. You do have to be a, uh, you know, have, have some uh, principled view of what is ambiguity and what's not. But here they found ambiguity. And so uh, Judge DeWine goes on, to resolve the dispute, we must answer two questions. Predicate question is, what deference, if any, should a court give to the administrative agency's interpretation of statute? Now, we at NCLA say none, zero, zip, because what does that do? It means that when, when two litigants are before a court, the court defers to one side and not the other side um, on its view of the law, which is a 
the province of the judiciary. So it's just a cockamamie view of the law. Um, so, and then the second one is, you know, what's the statute mean? Um, and the court says, we reaffirm today that it is the role of the judiciary, not administrative agencies, to make the ultimate determination about what the law means. Thus, the judicial branch is, emphasis in the original, never required to defer to an agency's interpretation of the law. As we explain, an agency's interpretation is simply one consideration a court may, emphasis in the original, sometimes take into account in rendering the court's own independent judgment as to what that law is. And I would have put the emphasis on independent there, um, but that's an emphasis added. Uh, and then finally, they apply their judgment and find that nothing in the statutory language to precludes an independent contractor from serving as a full-time manager of the engineering firm. And they reduce and they reverse. Now, why is this important? Why did we put in an amicus brief? Uh, and, and the reason is, is because Chevron deference warps administrative law all throughout the federal judiciary. The Chevron um, standard has been in place since the 80s, and it has given a tremendous amount of victories to the administrator over the individual person and has uh, warped the law in that one of the things that's, that stands out is that when the agency makes one determination about what the law is, and then if, if it's arbitrary, if, 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 if there's ambiguity, then they make another reasonable interpretation later, the courts still defer. Um, they defer a little less. There's certain doctrines where they, where they say, well, you know, why'd you change your mind? But they still do this defer deference business. And so uh, Ohio now will no longer do that. And, and Ohio is a big, important state. It's not a, 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 an outlier. And we've seen state after state get rid. After, the, after Chevron, um, back in the 80s, many states took up the same view as the Supreme Court. You know, who are we to disagree? But by statute and by court uh, decision, Chevron is being walked away from in case after case. Georgia has, Arizona has, by statute. Uh, they've all said you don't defer to the agencies. And this is a powerful uh, statement that our system has to work uh, as, as, as it's written in the state constitutions and the federal constitution. And that means that the executive doesn't get a thumb on the scale of what the law is. And certainly the agencies with you know, less oversight many times um, don't get that thumb on the scale. And in this case, it means that uh, the agency wanted to take away flexibility from the businesses, the engineering businesses of Ohio. And the court said, well, you know, the Ohio legislature and the governor didn't take away that flexibility, so you don't get to. And this will come up again and again, I have a feeling, because um, – the one side is always going to want people to be employees because of uh, union matters and um, stability and, and lots, lots of things. Uh, there's lots that goes into it, but there's a, a big uh, battle in the labor area of what an independent contractor is, and people who want to be in the gig economy and people who don't want the gig economy and, and all this stuff that um, is kind of above my pay grade. But I know these fights come up all the time. And um, they're not going to put a thumb on the scale of who's ever run an administrative agency. And this has another effect outside of Ohio. So what is the basis of Chevron? Well, the basis of Chevron is oftentimes a parade of horribles. 
And that is if the courts get involved and don't give the agencies wide latitude, A, the courts don't have expertise that the agencies have in their area, like here, the engineering area, right? And so they don't have expertise, so they could get it wrong. So that's one question, and, and that all these things would come from that. And the second thing is um, that the agent that the agencies uh, would be stymied in their um, pursuit of uh, uh, justified regulation, and that bad things would come of that as well, uh, because now they're not getting their way, and the elected branch is not getting to set policy. Now, there's arguments against that, but I'm not going to go through all the arguments. But I do think that it's important that the states, which uh, you know, Holmes said, are the laboratory of experiment. Now, what happens when a bunch of states get rid of Chevron and the sky doesn't fall? So right now, a body of law is being built up all across the country. I think Alabama and maybe Mississippi have added to it, and I, I forget all the states. Actually, it's been happening in sort of a, a cascade. Uh, a, a preference cascade of um, states in the last five, 10 years. And well, they all have agencies. They all have agencies that have wide latitude over people's lives. I mean, it, it, you, you deal with the Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, you deal with the uh, Secretary of State all the time to register your business. You deal with the tax authorities, the, the, the income tax authorities of your state. Um, there's plenty of agencies. Some of them have, some of them run, um, energy, uh, you know, if, if you want to have a, um, if, if you want to have a utility, their state agency usually runs the utilities. So there's plenty of administrative law in the States. And so what happens when the sky doesn't fall for all these States, they got rid of Chevron and look, oh, look, the power's still on. Oh, look, cars aren't crashing all over the streets. Um, and what that does is for those who say that precedent of Chevron should be followed, well, one of the reasons you undermine precedent is that the premise of the law was based on and the opinion was based on no longer apply and that you know they don't apply. And one of the ways you show that is by showing in the analogous um, states with, with their retained sovereignty have gotten rid of this doctrine. And the results before and after getting rid of this doc doctrine have not been catastrophic or even bad in any way. And I don't think they'll be able, I, I don't think the proponents of Chevron will be able to show that it's bad in any way. And um, so I, I do think this is an important case because Ohio is an important state. Um, and, and Ohio also is not adverse to regulation. It's, it's a big manufacturing state, it has a history of being a manufac manufacturing state, has a history of, um, uh, you know, unions and and um, uh, a robust uh, back and forth between capital and labor. And um, so uh, there this isn't going to resort in a, result in a disaster. I, and it's going to result in regular administrative law that the administra administrative agencies have to be like everybody else and have the judiciary tell them what the law is and not put their thumb on the scale. So I'm hoping that this is another nail in the coffin of Chevron because it's going to create precedent that the federal courts are going to have to look at and say, well, only the Supreme Court can overturn it. So they're going to have to look at it and say, well, the premise of our decision has been undermined and 
fatally undermined. And so instead of kicking the can down the road and not mentioning Chevron, maybe they'll mention uh, this case, proven escape for a registered We'll be back. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and I'd like to bring up the case of uh, Lujan, uh, the U.S. Department of Education. We've talked about this before, but um, I'll just remind the listener. Uh, there's a Fulbright Hayes Fellowship, which is a government uh, scholarship that is was created in the 60s during the Cold War to make sure that State Department um, had uh, – foreign language speakers uh, to do, uh, you know, to deal with the world, to engage with the world. And so uh, it, it gave um, scholarships to people who had dual, um, dual languages at a proficiency level where you could be a diplomat. So obviously this isn't like uh, Donde style Banyo. This is, this is uh, being able to speak uh, a foreign language with, um, with felicity and with sophistication enough to engage in diplomacy. And um, unfortunately, the statute, uh, the administrative agencies decided that for some reason, they were not going to allow, when you apply for the scholarship, if you came from a country that spoke a foreign language, they weren't going to, they were going to deduct 15 points from your score. So, even though you're taking the test in English, even though you're, you've actually got the dual languages, because in order to take this sophisticated test, you have to know English really well. Um, one of the things I always say is that uh, one, of the, um, one of the big bar failure rates are New York and California. And one of the reasons is, is because taking a, a law review, um, taking a bar in a, in a language that's not your first language is a tough, tough road to hoe. And I'm always... A, I'm always stunned by those people how how um, how much they have to know, and this is the same sort of thing. Um, under and, and so uh, for for no good, I don't certainly not under the language, and but even under policy, there's no really good reason to deduct 15 points from these people. One of the things that we've I think we've said and is that um, the United States uniquely has access to people who speak foreign languages. Um, who are citizens because they came here as young people um, or they've come here, you know, uh, since then and they speak a foreign language and to keep them out of these programs with a 15 point um, subtraction on, you know, 100, 105 point scale um, is absolutely a bar to them getting these, these fellowships. And um, there's a host of cases, a host coming out of the 60s, that you cannot, even the government can't discriminate uh, on the basis of um, your, uh, you know, your alienage, uh, that you came from another country once you're an American. And so uh, this is really a bad policy. It's, it's bad 
for the usual reasons, the administrative state making stuff up that's not in the statute, but it's also bad because it's unconstitutional, and it's bad because it undermines the purpose of the statute. So I, I've been amazed. Um, uh, but um, our client, if this case isn't resolved quickly, is going to lose out on being able to uh, hit and, and finish um, the, the, the PhD. Um, unless he gets into the program now. So we have moved for preliminary injunction saying, look, take the 15 points away. And, um, and I, I, I think that uh, Sheng Li, who's, who's directed this, um, this uh, case and is running it, uh, said uh, quite cogently, and I think it's correct, that the Department of Education rejected Ms. Gonzalez's 2022 Fulbright application solely because of her immigrant heritage. Department does not even defend its practice on the merits and has agreed to change discriminatory regulation. And here, here they have said they're redoing the, they're do, redoing the regs. And uh, I do have to uh, say that the government has been, um, its lawyers certainly have been um, relatively reasonable for government lawyers. Uh, but it's not like they say this is a great policy. They just say, look, we we defend our, our policies and, um, Sorry, but it takes a while to do this stuff. And, and then he says, but it is moving so slowly that Ms. Gonzalez will be denied meaningful relief unless the court forces the department to act. At the very least, the court must require the department to end its discriminatory practice before the 2023 application cycle begins. And, and that's it. You know, um, these people are by and large young people. There's a time to strike, in, in, certainly in the academic area of getting your PhD, which is no easy task. Um, so, so th this policy is not harmless. It's, it's affecting real people right now. And these people are Americans and they are being treated differently than other Americans because how they got their language skills. And, um, as I always point out, if, if you come from uh, a foreign here, Mexico, and you have to learn English on a level that you can get a Fulbright scholarship and then you also have to ha speak your your native tongue in such a way that um, that you can also uh, deal with uh, with sophisticated uh, concepts and the rest of it. I mean, you have you have learned everything you're supposed to learn, and you shouldn't be discriminated against. And I and it also is throwing away um, people who could be helping this country in our foreign policy and in all the various contacts we have to have with the rest of the world. And to have this advantage that only the United States has, because even Great Britain uh, and, and even France do not have the percentages of people who from all over the world who come here who speak something like 160 different languages and have, uh, you know, a reasonable large amount of people, especially now. I think the uh, people who speak foreign language or, or, or uh, the foreign-born population in the United States is um, less than it was when my grandfather came here, but it's getting it to that, that level. And um, all those people, once they get this type of schooling, the, the folks who can speak the language that well and who have studied hard enough to be in this running – take 15 points away from them for no reason that can be discerned is just outrageous. So um, we have, uh, so I, 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 it was, it's 105 possible points and they take away, you're ineligible for 15 points if you come from a country that spoke that language. And, um, and, and so 
That is a tough road to hoe. So we've moved for preliminary injunction in the Western District of Texas, and uh, government's going to um, oppose us. I'm relatively sure. Um, but what do you, I? I am very interested in what they're going to say about this um, long line of cases coming from Brennan and Marshall and all these um, very uh, lions of progressive bar saying you can't discriminate on these grounds and there's no way to sugarcoat this. That's what it does. Basically says to two Americans that you get deducted 15 points on this test because of where you come from and how you got your language skills. Um, and you are not going to take 15 points off this test. Um, that's that's a tough road to hoe. It, re it really is. And particularly a young person to be denied a scholarship on those grounds when you've done all the work and um, and and the, the government can't even articulate a good reason. It's just, it's, it kind of shows the um, autopilot of the administrative state. This, this program went along for 30 years. We defeated the Soviet Union under this program. You know, we had all these people uh, in Eastern Europe and, and immigrants from Eastern Europe and immigrants from, you know, Cuba and immigrants from uh, Nicaragua and places like that that, that were under uh, uh, control of or, or asserted control by uh, our adversaries. And they, they all got these Fulbright scholarships, and they went out and they served American interests all over the world. Um, and so through, through 30 extremely uh, difficult diplomatic years, uh, the Fulbright scholarship did not have this, this regulation. And then suddenly, Cold War ends, and they say, you know what? We need this regulation. Uh, and, and, um, and they put it in the 90s, and nobody... Nobody says boo, um, but somebody should have, and New Civil Liberties is doing it now because um, it is only an administrative agency could do this. This is a perfect distillation of why administrative law has to be brought back away from the agencies and to the statute that Congress has passed because uh, current dysfunction aside, Congress would have debated this problem. So some congressmen would have said, well, we want, you know, what it's really for is to make sure that uh, Americans go learn a foreign language. Well, if that was all it was, uh, then they could have put language in to say, and so we will not allow this group or that group to, to take the, uh, the uh, scholarships, but, and maybe that had been challenged. Maybe that's unconstitutional even. Uh, certainly I think so, but I'll tell you this. It it's more likely that Congress would have said, nah, we're not going to do that to Americans. Um, everybody who has proficiency in both English and another language gets the benefit of this. Uh, only the agencies, for cryptic reasons that nobody knows, could put this in. And nobody's checked them. Uh, nobody's stopped it. No one said, hey, you know, we got all these uh, law cases. They're 70 years old now saying this is... You can't do this. You can't discriminate on aliens. I think some of them may go back to World War I, to tell you the truth. Some of them might be 100 years old. Um, you're not allowed to discriminate on the basis of, of uh, against an American on the basis of, of foreign birth. Um, so I, I think Congress 
didn't put it in the statute and wouldn't put it in the statute. And it shows perfectly why the administrative agencies go off on their own for bureaucratic reasons that we do not know. So um, we'll see what happens with the preliminary injunction. They're, they're going to oppose it, is my understanding. Um, I, I will look forward um, uh, to what the court has to say about this. But um, I really hope that uh, this young person's life is not put on hold because of a bureaucratic snafu that they're already in the works to change. Um, and I hope NCLA gets the win on this one, not only for our purposes, but also because I can't think of anybody in the country who can make this right. We'll be back next week.